Good morning, Crosspoint. Will you guys stand up with us? you guys are here with us celebrating God's grace together. What a great truth to dwell on as we gather and and sing God's praises this morning that his grace, it's greater. Amen? Amen. Greater than all our sin.
Testament so far, Lord, you're not just a God of wrath and, and justice in the Old Testament. You are a God of grace and mercy. Lord, you never set aside one attribute in favor of another. You are both and all at the same time. And so, God, as we talk about your faithfulness, as we talk about uh, the blessings and the curse this morning uh, and, and the law, Father, that we would fix our eyes on you the one who gave us your son, Jesus Christ, in whom all of your wrath was poured out. And on us then, God, as followers of him, all of your grace has been given through him. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Good morning, Cross Point. If you have a Bible, get to the book of uh, Deuteronomy. Chapters 10 and 11 is where we'll be. This morning, if you don't own a good Bible, we'd encourage you to get uh, the free one at Guest Connections after the service. Let that be our gift to you. Some Crosspoint uh, family news that we wanted to share with you so you could be aware and be praying this past week. Bree Herman's father, uh, Doug, passed away after a six-month battle with cancer. And so please be praying for Greg, Bree, and their family as they both mourn the loss of a loved one and yet also rejoice in the knowledge that Doug knew the Lord and Doug was a follower of Christ and now Doug is home uh, in the presence of eternal joy and rest with his Savior. So uh, be praying for the Herman family this week. Uh, today, <clears throat> we finish up our series called God Delivers. This series has taken us through the book of Exodus, a couple weeks in Leviticus, and then um, now today we are in Deuteronomy. The past five weeks, more or less, we've been looking at the law. We've been looking at the commands the Lord has given to the Israelite people and how he's called them to live following uh, their rescue and redemption from the tyranny of Egyptian slavery. So today we're in the last of the five books of what's known as the Torah or the Pentateuch, which is referring to the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Next Sunday then we begin a new series called The Promised Land. Resources are back at Guest Connections for adults, students, community groups, all those kinds of things. Make sure you get those after the service. But that series then will actually jump back into Numbers for a couple weeks seeing how the Israelites leading up to the promised land and then move on into Joshua and keep plugging through 
the Old Testament. Today we're in Deuteronomy. Here's some things you should know about Deuteronomy. During his earthly ministry, Jesus uh, quoted this book more than any other Old Testament book in the Bible. Uh, When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he quoted verses from Deuteronomy, quoting the truth of Scripture to overcome the lies of the devil. When Jesus was asked by religious leaders which commandment was the greatest in all of the Old Testament, what was the most important, Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. He said this in Mark 12, 29 and 30. Jesus answered, The most, most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And today we're talking about two key words that we find in Deuteronomy. We're talking about blessing and curse or obedience or disobedience or life or death. And in order to help us get a better understanding of what's leading up to Deuteronomy, the overall story of Deuteronomy, as well as these ideas of blessing and curse, watch this video. The book of Deuteronomy, the epic conclusion to the Torah, and spoiler alert, Moses is going to die. Now, in order to understand this book, we need to remember the story so far. So Israel has escaped from slavery in Egypt, then they spent one year at Mount Sinai. This is where they made the covenant with God to obey all of these laws. Then they wander around the desert for 40 years before they make it to the Jordan River, which is right across from the land God promised them. They're ready to go in. This is where the book of Deuteronomy begins. And what this book is, really, is a speech. Moses gives these final words, it's like a pep talk, to the new generation of Israel that's about to go into the land. And the speech is broken up into the three large sections. Moses begins the first part of the speech with a somber tone, because he's highlighting Israel's rebellion and resistance, which has been going on for the last 40 years. And that sets up the rest of this opening section, which is Moses' challenge to this new generation to be different from their parents and to respond to God's grace with love and obedience. So he reminds them of the Ten Commandments, like the basic of the covenant, and then he gives them this very famous line. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, in Jewish tradition, this is called the Shema, because the first Hebrew word in this line is Shema Yisrael. And this became a very important prayer in Judaism, said twice a day. And it emphasizes the Israelites' exclusive commitment to their God, the one true God who loved them and who rescued them from slavery. Right, because they're about to go into a land where people are worshiping many other gods. And Moses thinks that loyalty to the Lord their God is the only way to life. Now, notice these key words in the Shema. Listen and love. You're going to find these words all over this opening section of the speech. The word listen in Hebrew means more than just let sound waves come into your ears. It includes the idea of responding to what you hear. So for Israel, this means responding to God's grace by obeying the laws of the covenant. And then listen is always followed by love. Yeah, so love is the true motivation for obeying the laws. Israel won't obey without love, and they don't truly love if they don't obey. So there's this tight connection between loving and listening that runs through the entire book. And so Moses tells them that if they do listen and love, they will fulfill their original calling as the family of Abraham to show all of the nations the wisdom and justice of God and so become a blessing to them. 
The second big section in Deuteronomy is a large block of laws and commands. And this is where the book gets its name. Deuteronomy means a second law. And it's because many of these laws we've heard before. In fact, in the first line of the book, we're told that Moses is here explaining or clarifying the laws. So he's repeating and expanding on the laws, making them relevant to this new generation. There's laws about how Israel's to worship God, laws about their leadership structure, laws about social justice, and then some more laws about their worship. Now, after all of the laws, Moses warns Israel of the consequences of their obedience or disobedience, or in his words, the blessing or the curse. If they listen and love, they will experience blessing and abundance in the land. And if they don't, there's going to be famine and plagues, and they'll be forced off their land into exile. And that brings us to the final section of his speech. Yeah, here Moses says, I set before you today life or death blessing or curse. So choose life. But then things get really interesting because after 40 years with these people, Moses knows they're not going to obey. And so he predicts their failure and even their future exile from the promised land. And he focuses on what he thinks is the true source of the problem, that they have hard and selfish hearts. It's as if Israel is incapable of truly loving God in a way that brings about obedience. But this problem isn't unique to Israel. Yeah, in fact, Moses, when he's using this language about blessing and curse, he's tying Israel's story all the way back to all humanity's story from Genesis 1 through 3. So Adam and Eve, they were blessed by God just like Israel and given a choice to trust and obey God like Israel. And then they rebelled and brought a curse on the land like Moses knows Israel is going to do. And so these stories, they're about Israel's hard heart, but they're actually a window into the universal human condition. But Moses doesn't give up hope entirely. That's right. He says that somehow on the other side of Israel's exile, God promises to transform their heart so that one day they truly can listen and love. In the final chapters, Joshua is appointed as the new leader of Israel. And then Moses takes the entire law code. The one he just predicted Israel would break. That's right. And he puts it into the Ark of the Covenant. And then Moses hikes up to the top of a mountain so he can see the promised land from afar. And then he dies. And that's how the Torah ends. Which is a strange place to end the story. I mean, it's right there at the climax. Will they obey the laws and live faithfully in the land or not? Well, the story does continue right into Joshua, the next book of the Bible, but this is the end of the Torah, and it's been ended here for a reason. The Torah is written for people who are either outside of the land or who are still waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise to bless the whole world. And so now as each generation reads the Torah, they find themselves called to hope in what Moses hoped for, a new transformed heart that one day can truly listen and love. And so the Israelites, the nation is on the edge of the promised land. And they're about ready to enter this land that God has promised to their ancestors, the generations for years and years before that. And Moses is giving this final charge and instructions to them. He's going to relate them. He's going to uh, basically restate the law again to this next generation. He's going to call them to listen and to love, not just hear these words, but respond to them, to agree with them, to live according to his words. And he's going to remind them of all that God has done and the grace that has been shown. And no, our building won't blow away. So just it's okay. There's going to be rattling. We live in a steel building. It's going to be okay. We will be all right. All right. Um, and I have no confidence in what I just said, but I just, 
But I just want you to know that we're going to be okay. Um, He's going to remind them of all that God has done and, and the grace that He's been shown. So out of that grace... Well, I just can't say that with certainty, okay? I can't just say that, okay? That's all I'm saying. Um, I just see every... Here's, here's what happens in the public um, speaking sphere, okay? I'm talking, talking, talking. Noises happen. You're like, Whoosh. I have no idea what he's saying, but the building's about ready to blow away, all right? So this is what happens. Bear with us. We're going to be okay. So anyways, um, we're in the world. Um, <clears throat> so... The, this whole, whole idea of listen and, and love. And today, in the passages that we'll look at today, we'll find that the law is for our good. That God's commands are not for, not burdens, but they are a blessing to us. And we'll also see that the law demands and requires perfection from us. That we are to obey it always. And we'll see in these passages also that, uh, that we'll see this blessing and this curse in, based upon how we respond to the law. I know this may surprise you, but who do you think we're going to end up talking about eventually in this story? Jesus is the answer. It's, if it's ever a who, it's always Jesus. If the question is a what, it's the Bible. If it's a how, it's, a, it's prayer. All right? This is, that will nav- help you navigate church conversations for generations to come. All right? So it's always about Jesus. So what about the law? We've spent the past five weeks talking about the law, and here's another great video. These videos are so well done. I'm not trying to um, skip out of preaching for about 10 minutes this morning. I just th- think the videos are so much better uh, than what I could communicate verbally to you. So here's a, a video to help us get our heads and hearts around the law. What is the law? And then how Christ is the fulfillment of that law. And then how, as God's people, we are then empowered by the Spirit of God to go out and love God and love others. Watch this. You're most likely familiar with the Ten Commandments in the Bible, stuff we generally take as good advice. Don't murder, don't steal, honor your parents, the list goes on. And those are just the first ten. There are actually a total of 613 commands, all given to ancient Israel, found in the first five books of the Bible, which in Hebrew are called the Torah. Now, the word Torah is usually translated in English as the law because it has all of these laws in it. And as you read through them, you wonder... Am I supposed to obey some of these, all of these? I mean, what's the purpose of the law? Well, that translation is kind of confusing because while the Torah has laws in it, the book itself is fundamentally a story about how God is creating new kinds of people who are fully able to love God and love others. And when Jesus taught about the Torah, he said that he was bringing that story to its fulfillment. So walk me through the story and how it's fulfilled. So the story begins with God creating humanity who rebels. And God chooses Abraham to bless all of the nations through his family, who end up in slavery down in Egypt, and so God rescues them. Then at Mount Sinai, God makes a covenant with Israel, like an agreement. And all of the laws that Moses gives to Israel are the terms of that agreement. They're like a constitution. And so some of the laws, they're about rituals and customs that set Israel apart from the nations. Other laws are about social justice or morality. And by following these, Israel would show the other nations what God is like. Okay, so the rest of the Torah is just the complete list of laws that Moses gives Israel? Mm, No, the rest of the Torah just continues the story. And the 613 commands are only a selection from that original constitution. And even these have been broken up and placed at strategic points within the story. Now pay attention, because you'll see a really clear pattern. Moses gives the first laws to Israel. Don't worship other gods, don't make idols. 
And then right after that, there's a story of Israel breaking those very laws. Yeah, they worship the golden calf. And so Moses gives some more laws. And then you get more stories of rebellion. Some more laws, rebellion again, some more laws, more rebellion, and you start to see the point. Right, no matter how many laws, they're just going to continue to rebel. So at the conclusion of the Torah story, Moses gives this final speech to Israel as they prepare to go into their new home. And he tells them, you guys, I know that you're not going to follow all of God's laws. You've proven to me that you're incapable. And Moses says the problem is that their hearts are hard and that they're going to need new transformed hearts if they're ever going to truly follow God's law. And he was right. I mean, the story goes on to recount Israel's total failure. They go into the land, they break all the laws. Right. Now, the next section of books in the Jewish tradition are the 15 books of the prophets, and they reflect back on the story. For example, Ezekiel, he said that if Israel was ever going to obey the law, God's spirit would have to transform their hard hearts into soft hearts. And Jeremiah said that's when obedience to God's command wouldn't feel like a duty, but they would be written deep in their hearts. And Isaiah, he promised a future leader, Israel's Messiah, who will lead all of the people in obedience to the law. Now, in Jewish tradition, all of these books together are called the prophets, even the historical books, because they're continuing the story told from the perspective of the prophets. Okay, so we have the law and the prophets, and they're telling one connected story about God's desire to bless the whole world through a people, Israel, who it turns out needs a new heart. Yes, and Jesus saw himself as continuing that story. So he agreed with the law and the prophets when he taught that it's out of the human heart that come the most ugly parts of human nature. It's like the default setting of our hearts is opposed to God's law. But Jesus also said that he came to solve that problem, and in his words, to fulfill the law. So what does he mean there, to fulfill the law? Well, first he said that the demand of all of the laws in the Torah could be fulfilled by what he called the great command that we are to love God and to love others. So that seems pretty easy. I mean, we all want to love. Well, we think we want to love. But Jesus showed how love is far more demanding than we realize. So he quotes the law, do not murder. And he says, yes, not killing someone is a very loving thing to do. But then he also says that when you treat someone with disrespect or when you nurse resentment against them, you're also violating God's moral ideal because you're not treating that person with love. And so Jesus said true love ought to extend even to our own enemies. So even though this command seems very simple, Jesus showed how our hearts are not currently equipped to fulfill even this basic command of God to love others. And that's kind of a downer. But where Israel failed, Jesus brought this story to its fulfillment. As Israel's Messiah, he fully loved God and others, and he showed all of the nations what God is truly like. He did this through his acts of compassion and mercy, and ultimately by loving his enemies even unto death. And after his resurrection, he told his followers that he would send God's spirit to transform their hearts so that they could follow him and fulfill the purpose of the law, to love God and to love their neighbor. So this fulfills the story of the law and the prophets, or in the words of the Apostle Paul, the one who loves fulfills the law. All right, so today we'll see that the law, law is good because God is good. He gives it to the Israelites for their good, but the problem, again, is the people's hearts are hard. Their hearts must be transformed if they're ever going to truly listen and love. One truth a Christ follower is believing and confessing is that the Lord has given us a new heart, that Jesus has and is transforming our hearts, renewing our minds, that he is 
changing us from the inside out as he changes and, and then as he does that as he changes our hearts he then changes our actions what our outward life looks like i love this quote from the video that said where israel failed jesus brings the story to its fulfillment so we'll start in deuteronomy 10 we'll finish in galatians 3 remind ourselves of the powerful and great news of jesus and that he brings the story to its fulfillment we'll start in verse 12 which begins with and now and anytime you see a phrase like that you go okay what did he just say then why he said and now what's the that sounds like a conjunction what's he say right before that verse 11 he says this and the lord said to me arise go on your journey at the head of the people so they so that they may go in and possess the land which i swore to their fathers to give them moses is continually trying to help the people remember the history of this nation the history of how God made a covenant with Abraham, and one of those blessings was land. And that how God has been faithful to them through all these generations, through famine, through slavery, through parting the Red Sea, the wilderness, God has graciously brought them to this place of promise. And out of that history and context, Moses continues to give this final charge to the people. How should they respond to the grace of God that they've been shown? Using the words of Jesus, you could summarize this next section as, again, loving God and loving others. That's how we are to respond. Verse 12, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. Moses is exalting God. God who is ruler and owner of all the heavens and, and all the earth and everything that, it, that is in it. The Lord who by grace chose you as his own. What does he require? The Lord gives five commands here. Fear the Lord, walk in his ways, love him, serve the Lord your God, and keep the commandments of the Lord. So fear, walk, love, serve, and keep. And then you notice the end of verse 13, Moses says the Lord is requiring this for their good. He's not an evil God that's calling them to live this way because he, he's out to get them. He actually has their best interests in mind, both in this life and in eternity when he's calling them to live this way. The law is for their good. When the government asks you to obey a speed limit around the school zone, children are present, 20 miles per hour. They don't do that to punish the driver. They do that to protect the children, as well as the driver, as well as everything else that's happening in that situation. If you're a parent and you have a teenager and you ask your teenager, hey, listen, uh, I need you to be home at a certain time, you're giving them, them that requirement not because you hate them, but because you love them. When I was dating my wife, Heather, back in the day, um, my mother-in-law would say, nothing good happens after midnight, all right? And now, as a parent of two teenagers, I wholeheartedly say amen and amen, right? Mm-hmm. If you're a parent and you tell your toddler to, uh, to, touch, to, to, to not touch the stove and stay away from the stairs and don't play with that ever-tempting light socket, don't play with that, all right? You're giving them those commands because you love them, because you have their best, best interests in mind. Now, the nature of a toddler, let alone a teenager, is that they don't agree that you have their best interests in mind. 
You think, no, I, I think playing by the edge of the stairs is much more fun. I'd rather be by the stairs. I'd rather be home later. I don't care about your rule. I don't care about your requirement. I think I have my, my best interests in mind, and I don't trust your word. And that's exactly what we do to the Lord our God. When we say, ah, I, I, see, I, I see you've given us your word, but I think I have a better word. I think my ways are slightly better than yours, and so I'm going to trust in my word and not in yours. But Paul said in Romans 7.12 about the law and God's commands, he said this, So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So one reason we know it's good is, is because God is good. God himself is good. He's the God of all the heavens and all the earth. He is the God who chose his people simply because of love, not because of something they had done. And then going on in verse 16, he, we see more about who our God is. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were once sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. God is the God of gods. He is, he is great, mighty, awesome. He doesn't play favorites. He's just, he's loving. His name above all names. He, he's done great and terrifying things, great things. Wow, we've been crossed over on the Red Sea. We crossed over on dry land, terrifying that then he brought the seas back over to crush the enemy of Egypt. He's forever faithful. So being reminded of who God is then helps us remember not only is God good, but the laws and the commands that come from God are good. This law was intended to bring blessing to the people. Nothing in this law was evil. Nothing in it was contrary to the character of God. It was all in alignment with who God is, in His holiness, His justice, His love. And then it's clear from these verses that not only are these commands good for the people, for themselves, their relationship with the Lord, it's good for their relationships with one another. Love the sojourner, the alien, the stranger, the one who isn't like you and who doesn't have a place to call home, who doesn't have land. Love the orphan. Love the widow. And don't just say you love them, but love them by meeting practical needs, by food and clothing. So the law is good not only for the Israelites, but for the society, for the way that they would interact with both one another and those nations around them that didn't worship the God of the Bible. Our God is a God of justice, and so that heart is to be reflected by the people who worship Him, the people who He has chosen as His own. I love how God reminds, reminds the people that once they were strangers in Egypt, and so Egypt wasn't their home country, and so He's reminding them out of, this, out of that, you've been shown the grace of God, you were once strangers, so don't then turn around and not love the stranger, but continue to love the stranger, because once you were sojourners, or aliens in a foreign country. God's heart for the fatherless, the widow, the stranger continues throughout the New Testament. It's all through Scripture. When we hear, um, well, a Christian should love God and love others. 
sometimes when we hear that, what we can do is we can project our own thoughts onto how that actually plays out. Or we define what love is. We define how love acts. We, de- we define how love responds or how it speaks. But if we're the ones defining that, rather than allowing the Lord to define that or, or God's Word to define that, then we're inevitably going to get it wrong. So we look at this passage in Deuteronomy and we hear five ways that we can live out this commandment to love the Lord our God. What does the Lord require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord. And then in verses 18 and 19, we get examples of what it looks like to love others. This extravagant, selfless, sacrificial love for others, a love best displayed by Jesus himself. As John Piper says, uh, everything in the Old Testament, when properly understood, aims basically to transform men and women into people who fervently love God and their neighbor. And this is what we see Moses charging the people to do as they approach the promised land. The problem, though, is the heart of the people. And this is the same problem that you and I hit up against in our lives when we hear Jesus' command to love him and love others. Moses said in verse 16, Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. He's not talking about taking a real knife to your, to your human heart and doing surgery. What he's saying is, and elsewhere in Scripture is that we need to allow the one true God to get to our spiritual heart to do some transforming surgery. Paul says in Romans 2 that the, this kind of circumcision is not outward. It's not physical, but it's inward. It's a matter of the heart, and it's accomplished by, not by us, but it's accomplished by the Spirit of God. Our hearts are transformed and changed when we humbly ask the Lord in prayer to change us. To circumcise your heart means to have this inward heart change that moves your heart from being stubborn to being humble, from being uh, stiff-necked, if you will, of what, how the Old Testament calls it, to being pliable or willing or open to the Lord and His work. I was talking to a friend this past week, um, earlier this week, and she was sharing how she wanted to be, uh, overcome this addiction to alcohol. She found herself running to alcohol to escape the pain or to, um, to numb the pain. And, and she said, she said, she's sitting in my office, and she's like, I'm just so stubborn. Like, that's the human condition. I am stubborn. I will raise my hand to be the first one to say, I'm the most stubborn in this room. I'm the most stubborn sitting in that office talking to a, a woman who wants to be free from an addiction of alcohol. The human condition is that we are proud and we are stubborn and we are stiff-necked. And that pride and stubbornness in us then leads us to fight when the Lord commands, commands us to fear Him and to walk in His ways and love and serve and keep Him and, or love and serve Him and then keep His commands. And Moses knows that reality when he's speaking to the Israelites. I can give you all these commands, but if you don't first ask the Lord to circumcise your heart, If you don't first ask the Lord to remove the stubbornness and give you a a new heart, to remove that heart of stone and replace it with a tender heart of flesh, then you won't obey these commands. You will do it out of your self-will for about a week, and then you're going to go right back to what you've always done. So listen, I can call you and I to 
walk and fear and love and serve and keep. But the first step is, is not for you and I to work really, really hard and clean up our act. That is not the first step to true transformation. Our first step is surrender. Our first step is humble ourselves. Our first step is prayer. Lord, change me. Not change my spouse, not change my kids, not change my boss, not change my, uh, my leader, not change wh- whatever it is. It's Lord, change me. I admit that I'm stubborn and I'm proud. And I know when I look at you, Lord, I look at your character and I look at your holiness, pride and stubbornness have no place in the realm of your character. And so remove my pride. Help my heart to to not be stiff and obstinate before you, but help it to be obedient to your word. You see at the end of chapter 10, God gives them this reminder that once they were enslaved, once their nation only numbered 70, but now the Lord their God has made them as numerous as the stars of the heaven, it says. He's been so good to them. He's been so faithful to them. He's never walked out. He's never forsaken. And the Lord calls them to obey out of the grace that they've been shown to be faithful because God is faithful. So this demonstration of God's grace, Moses keeps reminding them, grace precedes obedience. It's all throughout Exodus. It's all throughout the law. Grace precedes obedience. So he's reminding them again, grace has preceded you. He's been faithful to take you from 70 to as numerous as the stars of the heaven. So now, out of that, obey. Follow him. Verse 1, Deuteronomy 11. You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. Which leads us to this next big idea that God requires perfection. The law requires perfection. Law and obedience are frequently linked in Scripture. Love the Lord your God. Love and keep his commandments. It's that listen and love that the, the video talked about. Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So again, God's commands are for your good. They're not to bring burden, but blessing. When we keep them, they bring life, not death, blessing, not a curse. But here's the word that gets me in verse 1. It's like a caboose at the end of the train. It's just like thrown in here by by the Holy Spirit. Always. Always? What? There are over 600 laws, and if you disobeyed one, you were under condemnation. You'd fallen short. You'd shown that always doesn't apply to you. It doesn't. You had revealed that your heart is unholy, and yet God is holy because He is always holy. Always. When I hear the words, fear, walk, love, serve, keep, I could not say that I always fear the Lord and that I always am in reverence of Him, that I always love and serve Him, that I always keep His commands, that I always am tender before Him. And you couldn't use always to describe your your behavior toward the Lord, let alone your heart motivations before the Lord, the inward stuff that no one knows about. So when it comes to obedience, God wasn't allowing for a vacation. He wasn't allowing for an oops. He wasn't allowing for a, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you say that. He wasn't allowing for, I don't remember that one. He was commanding the Israelites to obey him always, continually, constantly, each and every time. So what now? 
Well, we see Moses giving the stark contrast in chapter 11 that obedience to the law brings blessing, but disobedience brings a curse. Verse 26, See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse, the blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from from the way that I'm commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. In Deuteronomy 28, which you don't have to turn there, but um, if you want to read it this week, but Deuteronomy 28, the Lord goes into details about the blessing and the curses, the blessings for obedience, the curses for disobedience. And in that chapter, one of the attributes that we see, again, is that God is holy. We see His holiness on display. We see the beauty, the perfection, the without fault attribute of God. And so in chapter 28, the curses were upon the land, uh, children, livestock, um, that God's people would be scattered among the nations and worship other gods. They turned to gods of wood and stone. You can't read through that list and think to yourself, yeah, God takes sin lightly. God doesn't really care about obedience. You can't read through that list and come up with that conclusion. And then you also read of the blessings of obedience. The Lord will exalt the nations, this nation of Israel, above other nations. Other nations will fear them that he'll bring blessing upon the children and the crops and the livestock. They'll all flourish. God will protect them from the enemies. Blessing would be abundance. The curse would be expulsion from the land. And the idea of blessing and curse, they've been around since Genesis. If you look at Genesis 2, all you read about, all you see is blessing. This perfect harmony between God and people and people and God and people and one another and just this beautiful blessing upon blessing um, life that God designed. But then in Genesis 3, following the sin and rebellion, we see the Lord giving a curse, a curse upon the serpent, a curse upon Adam and Eve. As one commentary said about these curses in Deuteronomy 28, these were in effect the same alternatives given to Adam and Eve in the garden. And just as Adam and Eve broke the commands and were expelled from the garden, eventually Israel broke the commands and was expelled from the land. So what do we do about all this? What do we do about the blessing and the curse? How, how do we land this plane? Where do we, here's what I don't want you to hear from these passages. That in order to get to God, you've got to start with your obedience and behavior. That in order to be blessed of God, you better track down all 613 laws and start memorizing and start behaving. You and I can't earn our way into a right relationship with our God. We can't obey well enough to be blessed of God with eternal life, with abundant joy. We can't dress up the outside of our life well enough so that then God somehow ignores the heart that is prone to stubbornness and pride. We're going to fall short of God's command to obey Him always. So then is this situation hopeless? Are we just cursed? Like, happy Sunday, it's a windy day, I'm cursed, blessed of God, right? Is this what it is? Well, this is where we land it back on Jesus. Because if, we, if, if, if it stopped before Christ, then yeah, happy Sunday. But Christ has come. He's fulfilled the law. And so the story doesn't end in Deuteronomy. The story continues. The story continues into the New Testament with the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus came as the second Adam, we're told. 
So the first Adam was marked by disobedience. As a result, was cursed. We are born with that same heart that's prone to be separated from God. Jesus comes as the second Adam, but instead of disobedience, he perfectly kept the commands. He merited the blessing of eternal life. So when God called the Israelites to obey him always, Jesus did just that. The only person in all of human history that will ever do it perfectly. He always loved God. He always loved others. He was even tempted, and even in that temptation, did not sin. He was flawless. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus became sin for us, so that if we place our faith in him, we might become the righteousness of God. We might have a right relationship with God, that where there was once separation and curse, now there's communion and now there's blessing. Because as Christ followers, we are confessing that we've fallen short. That we're, we're not holy. We're not holy enough to uh, approach the one true holy God, that, that we've not obeyed him always. So we need someone to take that curse for us. And that's exactly what Jesus did through the cross, which leads us then to Galatians. The book of Galatians was written to a church that was being impacted by false teaching. And the false teaching was that you could obey the law well enough to be accepted and saved of God. Galatians 3 would be a great chapter for you to look at this week in light of today's message. But Paul's writing this letter, just skimming through chapter 3. The first three verses says this, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So they've, they've heard of Jesus dying on the cross, but then he's reminding them, listen, it's, only through, it's, it's not through your obedience... It's not through your obedience that you've received the Spirit of God, but it's by, the, by your faith in Christ. And that's where the Christian life begins. It's, it's when, it's then as you follow Jesus, you don't slip back into this false thinking that your obedience is now earning you more love, more blessing, more favor from God. Or it's somehow your obedience is keeping you in the family of God. If grace has saved you, grace will keep you and grace will deliver you to the end. And so in Galatians 5, when Paul goes through, he's talking about fruit. He's talking about fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, and so on. He's not talking about fruit of the law or fruit of the flesh. That growth in Christ's likeness in you is a result of your trust and your faith in the Spirit of God and His continual work in you. A work that He is faithful to complete in you. A work that we join Him in with a heart of flesh. Then skipping to verse 10, Paul says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So that's exactly what Deuteronomy was saying. Disobedience at any point brings a curse. Verse 11, Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. So again, it's not through our obedience to the law that we are declared not guilty by God. No amount of good things can outrub or out um, uh, or clean away the bad things that we have or haven't done. Instead, it's living by faith in Christ that we are righteous because 
Jesus became our unrighteousness. And skipping to verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Christ took himself, took upon himself the curse for our disobedience, even though he did not deserve it, even though he was flawless, even though he always loved God and loved others. He was driven by love. He substituted himself, ensuring that that life and righteousness and blessing could be received by all who would believe in him and place their faith in him. The law as a system endured from the time of Moses to the time of Christ. Christ came as the fulfillment of the law, as the one who obeyed it perfectly, as the one who the law was pointing to all along. And so as Christians, we place our faith in not in our ability to obey always, but we place our faith in the one who obeyed always, who did just that. And so we are still called. So, so then, okay, so we get to this point and we go, so then does it really matter if we obey? Like, does it really matter if we, like, honor God's word? Because he, he took on the curse. And, well, sure it does. Are we still called to obey God and his, his commandments? Yes, of course. Jesus said in John 14, if we love him, we'll, we'll keep his commands. And his commandments are not burdensome, but they're for your good. We obey because we are loved. We obey because we are loved. We do not try to, we don't, we don't obey to try to earn more of his love. We don't obey to try to remain loved. Because we are loved, we obey. We grow in obedience through our faith in Christ. We grow in our, our, our obedience to him when we depend on him, when we trust the Holy Spirit to bring about that fruit in our lives. We love him by keeping his commandments because he's our God and he's a good God. He's a gracious God. He's been good to us. We're going to close in singing a couple songs and giving our, giving our offerings after the, in between the songs so ushers you can come up in between the songs. But as we respond in worship, I, I want us to listen to what Paul wrote in Philippians 3. Right before this, he's kind of gone through this list of how he obeyed the law so well, like down to the, I did this and this and this, and basically saying, I, I thought I was right by my obedience. But then he has this encounter with Christ. Jesus meets him, and he meets Jesus. His life is given to Christ. He repents and believes the good news. And then Philippians 3 is this contrast between where he was before to where he is now. Verse 7, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Father, that is our heart as well, that we would know you. We would experience your mighty power. And God, we thank you that it is by faith that we are counted righteous. It is not by works, because if so, we'd all fail. But Father, thank you for sending your Son to become sin for us, to take on that curse, so that in Christ we might be blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. 
Father, we want to worship you not only in this next couple songs and in our offering, but God, we want to worship you this week. Thank you for being so good to us. And thank you that even though the law points out how we fall short, we are reminded of Jesus. We are reminded of the good news that he fulfilled the law and by faith in Christ we can find new life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand up and sing.
come forward and we'll take our offering as we finish this last song together and uh, and just like just like the message this we don't just set aside what we just heard so that we give to earn amen and so this morning as uh, as as we consider uh giving to god giving to the ministries that come uh out of this church that he does uh, that, that it's the love of Christ that compels us, that it is uh, with a cheerful heart, not a heart of, of stone, but a heart of flesh uh, that has been uh, changed by Christ alone, amen, that we give. And so as we give, let's do that in worship to God. Father, we worship you. We praise you for who you are. We do give you all glory and honor and praise. And we thank you for this uh, opportunity to, uh, to sing to declare your truth, to declare your love and your grace and your mercy and your holiness and righteousness. God, just to declare who you are. And so as we give this morning, would you help us uh, not to, not to uh, revert right back to our own selfish ways and feel like we're, we're going to give because we feel guilty now. But God, we just give freely because the love of Christ is what compels us in Jesus' name, amen.
2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 17, says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you don't know Jesus, I implore you, I encourage you to be reconciled to God through Christ. And if you do know Jesus, I implore you and I charge you to go and be an ambassador for Christ this week, whether it's in your school, your workplace, your home, among your neighbors, among your friends. You're commissioned by Jesus Christ. So go with his power. Meet somebody new before you leave. God bless. Have a good week.